Uh, I just wanted to speak briefly about uh, certain events which seem to be very significant in terms of current events, and then I want to try to uh, complete the Pesach share. But in any case, uh, the first thing is what seems to be the fall of the Israeli government. Uh, The coalition is no longer what it used to be. It is now only 60 seats, which means it is equal to the opposition, which means that the opposition can actually stop this government from, uh, you know, uh, destroying Judaism. But what's significant about this is uh, that it's, it could very well be the beginning of the end. Because all you need is one more person to leave the coalition, and then the government collapses. And I think if that happens, then possibly, I'm not sure, but possibly they can elect a new government, I think even without elections. That's what somebody told me. But the main idea, which means based on the divine plan, is I've been saying anyway that what is happening is that uh, the gezera or the decree in which justice has to be satisfied. And if you remember the previous Shurim, that is why Trump lost. And part of the satisfaction of justice, because everything has to be balanced, Jews have to deserve the Mashiach. So part of that is the domination and the control and the victory of evil over good, because evil has its claim that since there's so much evil in the world, they deserve to take uh, a uh, top seat. Uh, But what's interesting about this is that can only go on for a certain amount of time. But after, in the end, when justice has been satisfied, in other words, when evil will have, uh, you know, uh, completed its claim, then it slowly begins to erode. And we find that this is what's happening. We find it's happening in America because uh, Biden, is his poll numbers are really in the dumps. And I think the, uh, the whole Democratic Party is sick and tired of Biden because they know it's going to be a slaughter in the November elections. So that itself means that evil as represented by Biden and the Democratic Party and the liberals and progressive is beginning to... Um, be vanquished. That's a very important idea because of the gzera, the decree that they have to be victorious so far. If that was uh, activated, operational, then this would never happen to Biden. That everything he would do would somehow be successful. But we see God is not doing that. Therefore, it tells us that the gzera, the decree of the uh, the uh, the uh, victory of evil is dissipating. <clears throat> now, what is interesting is that means that simultaneous in Israel, the Erev Rav, because that's again part of the decree, the Erev Rav, those Jews that want to destroy Judaism, they also have a claim, same idea, and uh, therefore they also have domination. <coughs> but that seems to be ending. Because if this person quit the coalition, well, that's the beginning of the end of the ability of the era of Ralph to destroy Judaism. 
And what's interesting about this is that it's happening in Nisan, which is really the time of redemption. So that certainly is a very interesting, uh, you know, movement forward. Now, besides that, I understand that the Kever Yosef Atzadik was vandalized by Arabs and so on, and they destroyed a lot of uh, material, uh, you know, artifacts that are in the Kever uh, and so on. That's also very interesting. Why? Because what they're trying to do is destroy the ability of the Yosef Atzadik or that spiritual side from vanquishing the Zoyamo. Because that's really what Yosef is. Yosef, as I will sometime explain, Yosef and Yaakov, as I will explain, took over the job of Esau. Uh, I'm going to be talking about that you know, in other lectures. So the, the major thrust of Yosef Atzadik's mission is to stand up to the Zoyama, the Klippa, uh, the Sutton. And that's his major idea. And he represents that idea. So what is happening is the Sutton realizing that he's fast losing his claim. <clears throat> Therefore, the Sutton is in some way trying to destroy the resting place of Yusuf HaTzadik. And what that means is that he's trying to destroy the ability of Yosef to remove the Zoyama, which of course is what the job of the Mashiach ben Yosef is. So rather than, it, it, I mean, it's, 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 it's tragic, <clears throat> but what it indicates is an attempt by the Sultan before he's taken out to stop Yosef, the spiritual energy of Yosef, to destroy him, to destroy his minions, his clippers, right? Uh, and also to destroy, of course, his ability to be power over the, uh, the world, to destroy the Zoyama. So that seems to be what is happening. It's easy to be fooled, but there's always a war between good and evil. And we are watching that. And like I once mentioned quite a while ago, that one of the major impetuses of evil and why we see such a display of evil all over the world, especially what's happening in America, the whole concept of gender fluidity and gender distortion, perversion and so on, all of this is because the Satan is dying. So he's desperate to try to get Jews to sin, as I will explain. So this is really part of the entire contest and we already see this by Moshe Rabbeinu, where Paroi issues an edict where the Jews have to gather straw besides building, uh, using, uh, you know, building bricks. And what that means, of course, is the balancing of justice where evil has its claim, you see. This is really what we're seeing, that at the end of time, which I've mentioned, evil tries to dominate and in some way try, tries to recoup its energy but ultimately of course it fails just like it failed in Egypt in any case that's uh, you know just a, a comment and a statement observation about what's going on now you know <clears throat> look you know we have never seen 
such an incredible victory over evil, over good. And what is happening in America is incredible in terms of the, uh, the transgender and the perversions of what's going on. And the, the same thing in Israel. We've never seen such a rabid attempt of, of the heir of Rav to destroy Judaism in so many different ways, in Kashrus, in conversion, right, in Shabbos, in the army, in Torah, and so on. Because this really is what's called the last hurrah. That's really what it is. And like I say, the Sultan is desperately trying to recoup his energy and survive. So this is, we know, it's predicted. And the Gemara clearly refers to all of this when it says that at the end of time, terrible things will happen. Civilization will look like it's collapsing. There's so many different statements in Saita and Sanhedrin about the, uh, the uh, ongoing collapse of civilization before Mashiach comes, you see. And that's really the war between good and evil. But don't worry. You know, this is what has to be to balance the judicial system where people have to deserve the messianic process to begin. And therefore, this is really what is expected. In any case, uh, I want to continue with the ideas and ultimately explain these ideas, how they are the underpinnings of Pesach. Now, last week I had given a whole sheer, it was quite detailed, about the concept of the Sultan, the concept of what the original plan was, right? Uh, the concept of the Zoyama, the four different levels of the Zoyama, and what they are and the nations that represent them. I had spoken about that last week. <clears throat> now, you may wonder, why am I spending so much time on the Zoyama, you know? And the answer to that is because the basic mission of the Jews in Egypt was to destroy the Zoyama. You see, as we will see by the mitzvahs, that is why I'm spending so much time. Because you have to understand what's called the mechanics, the operational principles of the Sutton and the Zoyama. So I want to continue and then lead into Pesach. Now, a, a thing that you have to understand, which I've mentioned previously many times before, but this is its right place. The question is, how do you deal with that? We know that man, Adam, and mankind, was never supposed to confront the Zayama. You know, it was Geshem, materialism, or physicality. And then by bringing down the energy of the spheres, change physicality into spirituality, and change spirituality into what is called the Neshama, the level of divinity. That was the original purpose and task. But Adam, therefore, basically, was not, he was physical and not physical. You see, Adam, we know, was given a task. Now, his job was to avoid the, the reality of the Satan, which I mentioned was like being in the basement. Avoid it. Don't intermingle with it. Just do the mitzvah, the commandment of God, not, eat, not to eat from that tree. And what will happen is there will be a zikuch, 
which means a, uh, a purification of who you are, material, physical, and you will change into Ruchmi, you see? And not to deal with the Zoyama, to deal with that projection of the Sultan, the power of the Sultan. Don't deal with this being. He is there just to tempt you to try to sin. Of course, not, I shouldn't say of course, but tragically, Odom failed together with Chava. They failed. So therefore, their reality changed. They sort of like fell or they became gross, physical beings. So they became like, I should say, you and I. They changed from some type of uh, spiritual being, although it was sort of mixed with physicality. They changed. They became not only physical, but the physical body became what's called zoyamic, which means that they fell, so to speak, into the basement, into the actual reality of the Satan, which was incredibly And the reason for that, the reason for that is you can't mezakech, you cannot purify if you have the zoyama in you. Now the consequence of having zoyama in you, of course, is the power of the Satan. Now, the, the essential idea of the Satan, we know, is to decompose, to destroy, you see, to dismember. And therefore, man was subject to death, because that is the ultimate decomposition, that is the ultimate destruction of man. And the reason why it happens is because we have Zoyama in us. The problem is we cannot remove the actual Zoyama. What we have to do is destroy the Satan himself, because he is the one who energizes and gives power to this projection called the Zoyama. So you really have to kill the Satan in order to remove the Zoyama, and when that is removed, then your body becomes purely physical, no more involved with the Satan or his Zoyama. And then from that, you can, you know, go higher and higher into... Uh, to becoming a spiritual being, and so on, which, which I have mentioned. <clears throat> so this is what happened. Adam changed the nature of reality. So world, the world that he now inhabits is physical, you see, and evil. Because that's really what the Satan is. There's only one thing that the Satan is interested. He wants you to believe that you are a somebody that you exist independent of God. That is the entire task of the Satan. We don't realize that, but we are subjected to this uh, delusion, I should say, constantly. We're always trying to get the feeling that we are somebody, that we merit, that we are worthwhile. You see? And therefore, mankind is always constantly involved in trying to reassure himself that he exists. It's a long topic, which I'm not going to get into, but I'm just telling you the essential uh, job of the Satan, the delusion that he wants to give mankind. Now the question is, wait a minute, how do you destroy the Satan? How do you change your being into a spiritual entity? And the answer is that you have to uh, redirect something. 
Now, the thing is that Adam, if he does the will of God, he actually brings down what is called in Kabbalah sparks of holiness, nitoitois or nitoite kidusha. And those are energies from the spheres. Every time he does the will of God, he brings that down in whatever measured amount, and that in some way begins to mount, and ultimately it can change the physical universe into a spiritual one. This is what Adam tries to do. But what happened? Like I said, Adam failed. Instead, what he did is he gave existence to the Sutton. Now, the Sutton always existed, but he gave what's called a mokum, a place, to the Sutton. Because he now joined the world of the Sutton. The Zoyma became part of him in his body, you know, however you want to refer to it. And therefore, he now mingles with the Zoyma, and that's part of his reality, you see. So, as such, he gave a place to the Sutton. And the way that he did it is the sparks of holiness which was supposed to come down <clears throat> had he listened to God and observed the commandment, those sparks went to the Sutton. You see? It's interesting. The Sutton is now in possession of the Nitzitzis. That's called Yunik or Yuniko, where the Sutton can nourish from the actual spiritual energy of the spheres at a certain level, you see. And the way the Satan can do this, right, is when you sin. So every time a person sins, especially, well, first it was Adam, and every time a person sins, then the Satan can take from his sparks that he would, he would have brought down had he not sinned, right? The Satan can be unique, can take that, can nourish from those sparks, and he grows powerful. So initially, Odom gave a place, because now he was with the Sutton, you see. So he now gave it what's called standing in his domain. And the Sutton now has Nitzitzis, which of course is very bad. Now, the way an Odom can take it back, now remember, if he takes back those sparks in the Sutton, then the Sutton grows weak. And ultimately he dies, literally. It is an angel that is destroyed. And all the minions, and if the angel is destroyed, the Satan himself, then what is also destroyed is the Zoyama, his projected energy or power. He has no power anymore. That's destroyed. And if that is destroyed, uh, then the products of that Zoyama, right, the four levels of the Klippa, of the Zoyama, which I mentioned last week, that also collapses. See, so all three things happen if in some way you could take back the sparks. The Sutton dies, his Zoyama disappears, and the four levels of evil collapses. You see? Because the sparks of holiness is no longer in the side of evil, which is called the Sitra Akhra. It is now in the side of Kedusha, the Sitra to Kedusha, which means the side of holiness, and once it's in the side of holiness, then those sparks begin to activate. They change. They are released and change mankind. You see? That's called zikuch, to purify. They begin to change 
the physical to the uh, spiritual. Uh, so therefore, to remove sparks of holiness from the sultan will kill him, ultimately. It will collapse the zayama, that's the power surge that he has, in which he can control the physical universe, and it destroys the four levels of evil. So there's no more evil. And therefore, obviously, there's no more death, there's no more sickness, there's no more tragedies, there's nothing. That is evil, you see, because the author of all this is the Sultan. And obviously, if he's gone, the entire thing is gone. But right now, we are at the point of history where Adam sinned. So we see, therefore, that Adam is the determinant. Does the Sultan have the sparks of holiness, or does he not? And if he does have the sparks of holiness because Adam sinned, then how powerful is he? And he can alter history. How? By, by influencing the nations of the world to do his bidding, which is exactly what he does. You see, <clears throat> now, <clears throat> if, however, he has to give up the sparks, like I said, then that is the beginning of the end, and the whole reality changes, and that's what we want. Now, the major nishama, soul, that is responsible to remove these sparks of holiness from the Sultan, thereby killing him, collapsing his Zayama, and collapsing, uh, eradicating the four levels of evil that is created by the Zayama, the major individual is called the Mashiach ben Yosef. You see? That's why he exists. Because once Adam fell into the Zohamic embrace, you need an individual that can remove that, contest with that, and remove it. Once that's removed, and the, the sparks are now part of the Jewish people, you see, you have what's called the Mashiach ben David, and his job is to bring down the flow of more sparks, and that ultimately changes the entire world. So you have two individual souls responsible for two different aspects of the job, which is ultimately to raise the physical universe to a spiritual and then to a divine. And that is why there is a Mashiach ben David and a Mashiach ben Yosef, you see. And the reason why you have two people is because one who contests with evil cannot have the same characteristics as one who has to be in charge of bringing down more sparks, you see. That's why there are two people. And as we see, you know, the forerunner of, uh, of Yosef, of course, was, as we will see, the Yosef in Egypt. And that was his job, to destroy Egypt, which means to rule over Egypt, which we'll talk about at some future time. But in any case, <clears throat> this is now the job of Adam. So that's phase one, right? It's called Kfiya Surah, to subjugate evil underneath holiness. And then the second thing is called Hispastis Kedusha, to spread the concept of holiness, bring down more sparks, and change reality. As I said, to climb the ladder ultimately to really to mirror a divine being. Now, what happens after that, you see? Um, well, 
Then you have Cain and Hevel. Now, Cain and Hevel really was also divided. The job of Cain was to fight evil, like Mashiach ben Yosef. And that's why God tells Cain, you know, if you're familiar with the story, where they both brought some type of offering, and Cain's was substantially inferior, and he was crestfallen. So God said, you know, no, you can win over evil at the gate uh, that evil uh, lies at the uh, entrance, and you can, you can control it, you can dominate over it, <clears throat> because his job is to dominate over evil, you see, and to destroy it, like Mashiach ben Yosef. Hevel's job, right, is the, not that. His Hevel's job was to bring down Moni Tzitzis. So in a certain sense, his job was like Mashiach ben David. Of course, what happened, we know, is Cain killed Hevel. <clears throat> so what Adam did is he gave a place to the Sultan. But Cain was much worse. By killing Hevel, Cain gave not just a place of the Sultan to exist, right, in the realm of man. What Cain did is he gave dominion to the Sultan because he was able to transfer tremendous amount of sparks of holiness, right, uh, in the dominion or the domain of the Sultan. It's much worse because at least with Adam, you know, you now have to contend with evil. He's, right, he, he's your next-door neighbor, so to speak. With Cain, he's not your next-door neighbor. With Cain, the Sutton owns the hotel, and you're renting a room. He owns the place, which therefore is much worse, you see. So that's in many ways the idea of the story of Cain Vehevel. And of course what happened was once the Sutton had dominion, because he had tremendous sparks of holiness, he was able to influence mankind to do tremendous evil. And finally, you get to the point of mankind, right, uh, by uh, the marble. Uh, after ten generations, the world had sinned, and the problem was that all mankind was equal in a certain sense to other Marishmen. That if he sinned, he would bring down the sparks of holiness and give it to the sudden. And if he was righteous, he would take back the sparks, back to the side of holiness. This was the problem. Everybody had what's called the power of Tikkun, just like other Marishmen. You see, there were no Jews then. There was just mankind, you see. Uh, and there was no such thing as, a, as nationhood. There was just one nation called mankind. And they were like other Mauritian. So finally, by the time you got to the model, which is about 1,500 years after other Mauritian, I think it's 1,560, whatever, uh, of other Mauritian, of, of, of uh, Noach, right? Uh, they had brought down, they had conquered so much sparks of holiness that the world was reached a level of unbelievable amount of evil, you see. And God therefore decided that it's too bad in the sense that the amount of evil in the world is so great that the Sutton is in possession of so much sparks that I must destroy the world. And I mentioned many times that the major sin where God decided that I must destroy the world because this sin became irreversible 
was what? Was sexual perversion, gender distortion. As I once mentioned, that in the days of the Mabel, it happened that if a guy married a guy, or he married an animal, he would have to write a ksuba, which means they legalized homosexuality, bestiality, and so on. And that became irreversible. And God said, listen, that kind of behavior or conduct uh, enables a sudden enormous amount of sparks. And therefore, I must destroy them. You see. So it's astounding to witness this. Because eventually what that means is if mankind does distort gender, which is happening with unbelievable speed in America and throughout the world, right? The world really is facing the possibility of a marble, a flood equivalent, which is frightening. And like I gave a shea a long time ago, the way God is going to rescue the world, so to speak, is to bring the Mashiach. In any case, so therefore, God decided to destroy the world because the Sutton had too much. Mankind cannot survive with the Sutton being so powerful, you see. So therefore, God destroyed the world. In fact, the Ramushchai Mutsato says something which is frightening. And he says, if you want to know the ratio, right, where the sparks of holiness were, right, between a Sutton and mankind, that the amount of nitrosis, sparks of holiness, in the hands of the Sutton, right, was equal to the flood with a ratio to the ratio of the ark. In other words, the ratio of the ark, the space of the ark, to the flood of the entire planet is the same ratio as the amount of sparks in the hands of mankind and the amount of sparks in the hands of the Sutton. I mean, it's absolutely frightening, and so on. And therefore, God decides to destroy the world. But we recognize something very important. The key task of mankind, or whoever is a masakin, whoever is a rectifier, the key task is to destroy the satan. Because the only way to move from a physical being to a spiritual being is you've got to get rid of the zoyama in you. It's the only way to do it. And that becomes the primary task of man, the ones who are equal to Adam, who can rectify creation. Because if they sin, then the sparks go to the Satan. If they remain righteous without sinning, then the sparks is restored to mankind. So we are now where? We are now where the earth is destroyed. But notice what destroyed them. It was water. And the Torah describes a very interesting term. It calls it the, the Tahim. The Tahim is the deep abyss. Now, if you remember, I said that the term that the Torah uses for the fourth level of Klippa, the fourth level where evil is all over the earth, is what? Is Tahim, right? Or water. What that indicates is that the amount of, of uh, the, the level of creeper, of the level of, of the Sutton, 
which the world had reached was equal to the fourth term of the Torah, which is a complete uh, spread of evil throughout the entire planet. So that's why the Mabal uses the term Tahoimus, right? That the, the deep abyss opened up and outpoured the flood. And that flood really, right, is the equivalent of the fourth level of evil. So it comes out that the Mabal really is where mankind sinned so grievously that he had actually given incredible amount of sparks to the sudden. And therefore he created a level, an environment that was equal to the fourth level of the Klippa. That's how we know how bad it was. You see, the interesting about, thing about that is that level of Klippa therefore was turned against mankind and its physical analog called water destroyed the world. So God actually used the physical analog of the Klippa of the fourth level, which is represented by Rome, which I had mentioned, to destroy the world. See, that's how we know how bad it was in the time of Mabel, you see. And remember, what sealed the fate and what really intensified that level of Klippa is sexual or gender distortion and perversion and depravity, which tells us how frightening we are now in such a frightening level of civilization. Now, after that, you had Noyach, of course, and he was the only one saved, right? He was saved in the ark because the sparks were really in the domain of Noyach. And Noach was there in the ark. You see? So all the sparks of holiness all nestled or remained with Noach and basically his children and their wives. You see? So he was able to go into the ark because he had those sparks. Everybody else who didn't have the sparks with the hands of the sultan died. You see? So we begin to see a tremendous amount of analogies you know, uh, metaphors, what really happened with Noach. But remember, the key concept is the major task of mankind, whoever has the ability of Tikkun, is to get rid of the Satan. And then you can proceed to change physicality into what? Into uh, spirituality. Now, now we come after another ten generations where mankind is sinning. But the sin of mankind then was to try to destroy God. Yes, that's the Tower of Babel. Where mankind actually has this delusion that they can destroy God if they build a tower high enough. Therefore, what mankind did is they, after Noach, it deteriorated again until you get to the Tower of Babel. But there again, they created a situation of the fourth level of the environment. And that fourth level is not only the level or the intensity of evil, it's also the spread of evil. And that's one of the reasons why the world spread, you see? And God confused them with, he changed the languages, and he spread all the people throughout the world. Because the claim evil had and the level evil achieved is not only the intensity of evil to war with God, but also how pervasive is evil in the world? And it became pervasive throughout the entire world. You see. 
And that's why one of the reasons why there was spread. There are other ideas, but it's a very important idea that their punishment of being spread throughout the world really is the level that they themselves created. That evil is not only intensified, but evil must now spread all over, because that's its claim. In any case, so we now have a very good understanding of what the, the main thrust of mankind has to be. God, of course, decided, look, I gave mankind two attempts at this, right? One is Adam, another is the marble, actually three attempts. One is Adam, the second was the mankind by the time of Noach, and the third is the Tower of Babel. Well, three times, you know, three strikes and you're out. So God decided to change the scenario, the divine plan. Because remember, you still had to destroy the Satan. So what he did is he looked around, so to speak, and he said, Avram Avinu is the only one that is doing what? Avram Avinu is the only one, right, doing the will of God. So while he's doing the will of God, he's bringing back the sparks of holiness into the side of holiness. And therefore, I'm going to designate him, not mankind, to do the tikkun. You see, so therefore what God did is he appeared to Avram Avinu, right? And now we, of course, learn in Lech Lecho. And this is the concept of the Brisbane Absurum, the covenant between the pieces, where God said, I'm now going to make a covenant with you, you see, and basically take it away from mankind, where they no longer can influence the spark of holiness. Sparks of holiness. In other words, even if they sin, it will not affect the sparks of holiness. You see? So they, mankind, became nations, or goyim. So a guy, somebody who's born in the nations of the world, cannot affect the sparks of holiness, no matter what they do. They can affect their own muzzle. That is true. You see? Because that has its own department. But they can no longer affect the cosmic influence of the sparks of holiness. Therefore, they can no longer damage creation and they can no longer rectify creation. It's out of their hands. And that's what God decided. But what he did do is he gave the task to Avram Avinu. You see? Now, if a guy wants to be able to get back, to be able to influence the sparks of holiness and therefore to receive the reward of those sparks in an intense fashion, then he has to become Jewish. But the truth is, uh, uh, if he wants to, but the truth is that if a person doesn't want to become Jewish, but he becomes what's called a Gertosh of a Noachide, then even though he cannot influence the sparks because he's not Jewish, doesn't have that type of neshama, he will receive the reward of the sparks by being close to and attached to the Jewish people. In any case, without getting involved in that, so God appears to Avram Avinu, and he says, okay, you're the man. You're the only one that can now influence the sparks. It is your job to do what? To do the tikkun, which means to uh, bring down the rest, all the sparks, you see. So God said, but Avram Avinu realizes something. He says, wait a minute. What about all those sparks in the hands of the Satan? You see? 
So God says, you've got to bring that back too. It's not enough to bring the sparks of holiness, the energy of the spheres, into the world. What you really have to do first, basically, is you've got to take out all the sparks in the hands of the Sultan. Because I need you to destroy the Sultan, to collapse the Zoyama, and then to collapse the entire environment of the four levels of evil. I need you for that. So therefore, God makes what's called a covenant, an agreement, with Avram Avinu. It's a very important idea what happened. This is pivotal. It changed mankind, <clears throat> you see. And God said, the way to do this, right, how do you bring the sparks out, right? Either you and your descendants, because it has to carry on to the descendants, you need to take all the sparks that were in the hands of the Sultan for the previous 2,000 years because mankind was in charge of the sparks, all of them. So the Sultan's got all those sparks. You've got to get it out, right? So therefore, the way to take it out, right, is you have to remain righteous. That's how you take it out. You have to remain righteous even if you're in the domain of the Sultan. You see? And then you will empty the sudden of sparks. He will die. The Zoyama will collapse. And all the levels of evil throughout all the nations will also collapse. But there's another way. Because Avraham Avinu said, wait a minute, how do I know that I will uh, inherit the land? Which means Avraham Avinu said, listen, what happens if my descendants, offspring, progeny, what happens if they don't do your will? You're going to destroy them like you destroyed the marble, right? You know, and so on, because they now have the power of what? Of bringing down the sparks. They've given it over to the wrong person, the, the, the Sutton. It's bad news. They can be destroyed. So God said, no. I will now give them a different way of doing the tikkun. means besides remaining righteous in a nation that, you know, is evil, whatever, if they suffer under that nation also, Yisurin, suffering, then they can also remove the sparks because they will have satisfied justice. So God created a new way, so to speak, that the suffering in itself will remove the sparks from the sultan. Very important idea. And therefore God made this deal with Avramavinu. He passed through pieces, and that's the way they used to make a covenant. God, Avram Avinu cut animals in half, right? And he separated the pieces, and, and then he, had, uh, he fell into a trance, which is a prophetic trance. And God passed through those pieces in two forms, right? One is a great light, right? Tremendous light. And the second was a smoking furnace, yeah, it's all in it's all embracious. Pashas Lechlecho. What was the symbolism of that? Well, obviously, the torch, the flaming torch, is that they can bring the light back by taking out the Nitzitzis, the sparks of holiness, right, from the evil, bringing it back to the side of holiness, right? They could do that by remaining righteous. And that's light, right? That's a tremendous amount of light. So that's one way of doing it. But the second way is a smoking furnace. He also passed in the form of a smoking furnace. And Rashi says that that smoking furnace 
is what? Is an analog of Gehenim burning, you see? Uh, and that indicates suffering. So God actually said they can bring me back. How? By taking the Nitzitzis, the sparks of holiness, out of <coughs> the Sutton, either in remaining righteous or uh, even under the influence of the Sutton, or by suffering uh, by the Sutton. And there are many forms of suffering, exile, and all kinds of persecutions, and so on. In either case, they will then take out the sparks, and that will succeed in destroying the Sutton. And God says, and you should know, right, that therefore your nation, and here is the beginning of Egypt, Therefore, in order to remove the sparks of holiness, right, I must bring them to a nation that will be the greatest nation on earth, and they are called the firstborn of the Sultan, because the Sultan uses them as his main agent to spread evil around the world, you see. But he doesn't mention the name of the nation. He just says they will have to go into that nation, remain righteous, right, take out the sparks of that nation, and then the Sutton will die, his Zoyama will collapse, the level of evil will collapse, which means that the nation that they went into will also collapse, because they are sustained with the, with the Nitzitzis, the sparks that the Sutton has. So it's a wholesale deterioration and eradication of the entire satanic Domain. It's astounding. Uh, but what happens if they don't do it? So God said, Your descendants are going to remain. Gerim. What's a ger? A ger is an alien, which means they have to remain righteous. But what happens if they don't remain righteous? How are they going to take away the sparks that mankind collected for 2,000 years? And it's now in the hands of Egypt, which is the main agent of the Sultan. And the answer is what? Va'avodim. And they will work for them. Oh, there's the mechanism called suffering. And what happens if working for them as slaves is not enough? Then the Inuisom, then this nation, which turned out to be Egypt, of course, will persecute them, you see? And when everything is done, part of which is they will remain Gerim initially, but then they sinned, so therefore they had to become slaves, and then they sinned more, and therefore they had to uh, suffer at the hands of Egypt. And then it says, and afterwards, they would go out with tremendous uh, possessions. Now just to show you that the whole discussion really is about the sparks of holiness, even though it doesn't look that way, the numerical equivalent of Yetzu Berchush Gadol, the gematria of the phrase Yetzu Berchush Gadol, is gematria, the same gematria, as Nitzoytze Kiddusha, the sparks of holiness. That's, that's the equivalent. That's the gematria. That's the numerical equivalent. Because really on a real esoteric, spiritual level, God's discussion with Avraham Avinu is unbelievably Kabbalistic. It's something that we don't see. Most people say, well, you know, the Jews have to go to 
the nation ultimately, which of course is going to be Egypt. But the question, of course, is why? You know, we say God took us out of Egypt, but the question is, what are they doing in Egypt in the first place? And now you understand. Because the Jews took over the mission of controlling the sparks of holiness to, to uh, you know, to uh, accomplish the divine plan, which you know what it is. So you remove the Zoyama to become physical, to change physicality into spirituality, to change spirituality into divinity, which is Edom Habo. You see? And therefore the whole discussion centers around the sparks of holiness of the spheres. You see, this is really what took place in Egypt. You know, besides the obvious that the Jews were freed from slavery and the Jews became for, for at least a nation with an independent, you know, a theological structure and so on, and then they received the Torah. But really, mystically, esoterically, Kabbalistically, it's really all about the sparks of holiness, which is really a very important idea even though we are so far from that uh, knowledge. But, I, but it's critical that you understand what is the game plan, really, that is going on. And this was the deal with Avram Avinu. Now, God realized, and he said to Avram, you know, what happens if they fail in Egypt? Which is ultimately what they did do. They failed. Even though they went out of Egypt, so they were successful in that sense, but they failed by the sin of the golden calf. So therefore, God used the expressions, V'gam es ha-goi donu And I will also judge, you see, the nation that they were slaves. And V'gam, and I will also, alludes to, well, if they fail to remove the Nitzitzis in Egypt, then I'm going to bring him into four more kingdoms. Each kingdom represents one level of the Klippa, one level of evil, right? And therefore the Jews will therefore have to go into exile, into four different nations, which we know, of course, to be Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, because they have to do the same job, you see, we are doing the same job that the, the Jews did in Egypt. You see? And that's one of the reasons why it says in the Agoda, and every person has to see as if he himself went out of Egypt. Because we are replacements. We are trying to do the same job that they did by removing the Zoyamar. You see? And therefore, we therefore have to go into exile four more nations, as I will explain later, each one having a level of evil which are equivalent to the four creepers, the four levels of the Zoyama. You see? You see how it all adds up? In any case, so this is the agreement with Avram Avinu, you see, where the main job now of the Jews, the descendants of Avram, is to remove the Nitzitzis, right? And as a result of that, to continue to further the plan of God, is to bring the energy of the spheres back or down to earth and as a result of that right the Jews will then change their own reality right and usher in the future world so this is the real beginning of the understanding of Pesach as I will continue next week and that will be the conclusion 
what's really going on is a very powerful Kabbalistic understanding of Egypt, and you will see that it explains really all the mitzvahs of Pesach, the events of Pesach, is nothing more than a continuation of the mission that the Jews took on by Avram Avinu. Very important idea. Okay. Uh, any questions? Well, I don't know. Amy has a question. Well, yeah, I do. <clears throat> um, so I have a question. So when yeah. Adam and Chava sinned, they changed um, their reality from spiritual to physical with the Zohama, right? Correct, exactly. So the energy in the Sefirot, how does, what happens? They diminish, and that's how we move backwards? Well, actually what happens is... <clears throat> They don't diminish. That's what one would think that should happen. Because if you sin, then you diminish. You should diminish, it would seem so, the divine energy, but it doesn't. The the, the way it works is that you don't diminish it, you transfer them to the side of the sudden. This is the whole concept of how evil grows. In order for evil to grow and dominate, it has to have the Nitzvah Kedusha, which is amazing. Because everything has to have the sparks of holiness. You see? So when the Jews sin, which is now what's happening, then the sparks are not diminished. They maintain themselves, but they are transferred to the Sultan and empower him to do terrible damage to the Jewish people. And we witness that in terms of the exile, the unbelievable uh, persecutions, this is nothing more than evil, you know, strengthened to an extraordinary extent, you see. And God knows the exact measure of how much we give them, you see. Is the persecution of the Goyim, the nations, you know, is it merely exile where they dominate? Is it persecution? Is it an expulsion? Is it an inquisition, you see? Is it a holocaust? You see, what exactly is it? God knows exactly what form the suffering has to take place because that's the concept of the smoking furnace in order to get the Jews to remove the power of the Sultan and bring it over to the side of holiness. You see. So, yeah, I'm stop talking. So now, uh, so my question is, so by transferring the sparks up, by... By transferring the sparks of holiness, that's how you, you change realities? Correct. Yeah, because that, <clears throat> we don't realize what the spheres are. They, are. they are sort of like a conduit for the energy of the Ein Soif. It's really what it is. And it's the Ein Soif that changes reality. The Ein Soif, of course, being a term that refers to God. You see? And the spheres are different levels of conduits of the Ein Soif. So by having more Ein Soif, by having more of God's presence, you can change reality. You see? So therefore, if you think about it, you know, the power, the, power, the, the real power source of everything is those sparks of holiness. So whoever has them can do whatever they want in that sense. 
They can change reality. You see? So the, the key is not diminishment. The key is transfer. If it was diminishment, right, then the Satan would also die. You see? But it's not. It's transfer. So he uses it. That's called a usurpation. He usurps our sparks. That's why the Satan is many times referred to as a ganav, as a thief. Because he's using the same power source as the Jews. But the problem is what he wants is for the Jews to sin more, and therefore he gets more power, more sparks. You see. That's why what's so interesting is that the actual gematria, the numerical equivalent, in the discussion with Avram Avinu, is actually in the Kedusha. So in a hidden sense, the Torah is telling you what the real possessions are that the Jews will go out of Egypt with. You see? Interesting. Yeah. So did, did and by the way, I might as well tell you this. Hmm. When the Jews did leave Egypt, so the Torah says, the Yotsu called Sivas Hashem. And all the hosts of God left Egypt. Okay? Now, the, the obvious, the pshat, the simple meaning, well, everybody left, which means all the Jews left, right? Uh, whatever, all the servants and all the animals and all that. But you know what it really refers to? Again, mystically, you know what it refers to. It refers to the sparks of holiness. That, that's what left Egypt. Therefore, the gematria of the Yotsu called Tzivas Hashem and all the hosts of God left Egypt is also gematria, Nitzotzei Kedusha. Sparks of holiness. Isn't that astounding? Same gematria. Because that's the real hidden power. You see, the purpose of Egypt was to destroy evil. But not evil only in Egypt, but to destroy evil of which we will talk about, you see? So in both sides, before Egypt and after Egypt, right, the numerical equivalent is sparks of holiness. You see? So in every, in every exile that we were in, did our oppressor know this Formula, so to speak? No. <clears throat> no. <clears throat> I want to tell you something. If they did, you know what they would do? They would treat us with golden gloves, wouldn't they? Because they want to hold on to this. They don't want to give it up. This is their power. And by the way, did you notice that every time a Jew enters a nation, an exile, and then they leave... What happens to the nation that they were in? It collapses. Babylon collapsed. Persia collapsed. Greece collapsed. Rome didn't collapse, but it changed from Rome to Byzantine, right? And then it changed into the Catholic Church. That's also a collapse. Because the only way it could change or, you know, uh, transform is if you take out the sparks. That's why it's happening. 
You see? Because when the Jews walk in and leave, because the time is up, then they take out the sparks of holiness from that nation. You see? Uh, so obviously what happens? It collapses. And that's exactly what happens in the end of time. But this time, it doesn't happen to a nation. It will happen to the entire planet where evil collapses. The sudden dies, the Zoyama collapses, the levels of evil all collapse. And all of it is now restored to the side of holiness, which is the Jewish side. And that will therefore empower the Jews. That's why the Jews become so unbelievably powerful. It's because they now have all the sparks. You see? Isn't that fascinating? That explains history. Because the Jews remove the sparks. And therefore the nation must collapse. That's what they do. You see? So this ex explains. What I'm telling you is the real underlying framework of the whole history of man. The task of the Jew. The divine plan. The ultimate divine plan. You know, Egypt is that. Egypt is an understanding of the real divine plan. I would say that the equivalent of what I'm saying is as if in a war that America's having, let's say World War II, and you really want to know what was going on, all the different battles, the strategies, the tactics, and so on, what would you do? You're not going to pick up the New York Times or whatever. You're going to fly to the Pentagon. You're going to go inside the Pentagon, right? You take the elevator down to the, whatever they got, fifth floor, which is the war room, right? And you take a look at the map of the war room, what's called the theater of war, and you would take a look at all those little pins that represent troops, weapons, everything, and then you would say to yourself, aha, that's what's really happening. Well, guess what? Egypt is the war room equivalent in the Pentagon. That's really what you're hearing, you see? So it, it's a tremendously valuable sheer, because this is the real uh, data, the real, you know, the real foundation of the entire creation is this. And Pesach, right, is the holiday, right, that illustrates the whole divine plan in a nutshell. That's the greatness of Pesach. And then, you know, next week you'll understand all the concepts of the mitzvahs and so on, chometz and matzah and the cups of wine and the ten plagues and so on. But this is the game plan, all wrapped up in Pesach. And now you understand why God is always saying, Zechli Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, right? To remember what the exodus of Egypt, right? I mean, there are reasons for that. But one of the fundamental ideas, if you remember Egypt, then you know the game plan. You know exactly what's happening. You are in the war room in the Pentagon. Can't get any better than that. You see. So, now I have a question. Um, I'm going to go back uh, to what we were talking about, um, Yosef's uh, tomb being um, vandalized. Yeah. Okay. 
So a couple of questions on it. Does that give um, B'nai Israel a better uh, position in the heavenly court in Shamayim, or, so to speak, for Hashem to uh, back us up more um, against the Satan, meaning because you could tell the Satan, look what your look what your children are doing to Yosef, who is the savior of so many of your descendants. He did such good things for you, and this is how they're gonna, they're repaying him. Yeah. Well, the truth is that there are several uh, dimensions. What you're saying is true. There's no question that the Arabs are destroying a, a historical uh, place. Why? Uh, and that is a tremendous sin. They, look, they don't realize. You know, they look. They have this. They are so filled with hate against the Jewish people. Uh, they have no idea what's going to happen to them. I mean, when when God finally says enough is enough, what do you think He's going to do to these guys? And He's, you know, He's going to all those people are, are destroying the the kever, the grave of Yosef. They have no idea of the of 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 the hell that they will go through because of what they're doing. So there's no question that that is uh, a uh, part of the scenario. But another one is it's a barometer. If you want to know what's going on, just take a look at the current event. That's, you know, it's once you have the understanding of the divine plan, you begin to realize that all this is barometers. By looking at current events and understanding how they fit into the divine plan, you see, you realize that these are what's called signposts. So the destruction or the attempt to destroy Yosef is really the attempt to stop the Jews from destroying the Zoyamah. That's really what it is. It's a signpost. It's a barometer. It's a message to the Jews. You see? That that's really what, that the Satan is putting them all up to this, right? In order to stop the Jews from destroying the Zoyamah. Because Yosef at Sadiq, as we will see, stopped the Zoyamah. That's why he dominated Egypt. You see, he took out enough uh, sparks of holiness to be the Grand Vizier. It didn't become the Grand Vizier because he was lucky. Because he, what he had to do is represent where, who has most of the, the Nitzis, the, the sparks. And since he is, which we will talk about later in, in the future, but since his avoid was so great, he had emptied a great deal of the sparks from Egypt so that meant that he had to become a barometer. He had to indicate by his position in royalty that he now has 95% or 90%, whatever, of the sparks. And therefore, he had to become Grand Vizier, which is the guy that controlled Egypt. See, he himself, his position, or the fact that this type of Jew was so high on, on, the, on the ladder of political you know, uh, positions is a barometer of where the sparks are. See? That's how you have to look at it. You see? So the Arabs trying to destroy the place of Yosef tells us that in heaven, the Sultan is trying to destroy Yosef's or the Mashiach bin Yosef's ability to destroy the Zoyamah. But they can't do it to the Mashiach bin Yosef. They're trying to do it to a representation of the Mashiach bin Yosef which is Yosef HaTzadik. You see? That's how you have to read 
current events. Okay. So does it, since the Mashiach and Yosef is alive and um, he's a spark of Yosef HaSadiq, does he feel anything because from from the <coughs> from them trying to destroy the the tomb or not at all? Like no. He doesn't feel anything. You see? The only one who can affect Mashiach ben Yosef is the Jewish people. A guy cannot affect another Jew. The only thing that can affect another Jew is his own sins. You see, no guy has a power over a Jew because that Jew is too high in the, in the uh, existential order. You see, what matters to the Jew is sinning and mitzvahs. Everything else is irrelevant. Why is that so important? Because that affects the sparks of holiness, you see. So either he's got it, or he doesn't have it. It's given over, transferred to the sultan, and therefore he is uh, severely punished or whatever. So Mashiach ben Yosef can only be affected, his ability to come or not come, is only dependent on the Jew himself. What the Jews? What is the level of holiness of the Jewish people? Is the goal is almost over? You see, have they done enough mitzvahs? That will affect him. What the goyim do is irrelevant. They only come into play after it's been decided where the sparks go. You see, see how it works. So it doesn't really make a difference, but it does serve as a, like I say, a signpost. What is going on in heaven? It does serve that. You see? Look, if you were allowed a view into the heavenly court, you'd be astonished by what's happening. Because they don't even talk about uh, the nations of the world. They talk about Ketrugim. They talk about prosecutions against the Jewish people. That's all they talk about. You see? They're not interested in the nations of the world. They have their own task. So all they talk about is, are the Jews sinning or not? And if they are sinning, how much, which sins, and so on. You see? Now, of course, the consequences are the decrees that affect the Jews, which, of course, will involve the nations of the world. But, but in heaven, they don't care about the nations of the world. Everything is all about is the divine agenda advancing or not? And the only one who can determine that is the Jewish people. I mean, I, it sounds, you know, I, I realize that in a certain sense it's strange. How can 15 million Jews be the pivot of the entire creation? You see, <clears throat> it sounds very strange. I mean, a person will look at me and say, what are you talking about? There's almost 8 billion people on the planet. You're going to tell me that the world moves only in response to what the Jews do? I realize it's hard to understand. But yes, the answer is yes. And that is exactly what the Brisbane Absalom was. That was the agreement that God made with Avram Avinu. Essentially, he said to Avram Avinu, everybody is irrelevant. They can only determine their own future. But they cannot determine in any way even one iota of the sparks of holiness, which is really the power source of everything, the spheres, you see, 
I know it's hard to understand. How can 50 million people, right, be the essential dynamic mover of everything? I didn't realize it's hard to understand. But that's the essence of Avram Avinu's agreement with God. That is the essence of Egypt, and that is the essence of the giving of the Torah. That's all that counts. I realize in a certain sense, one may say, wow, that's arrogance, you know. But it's not arrogance. Why? You know, Jews didn't choose themselves. God chose the Jews, you see. Uh, because they were the only one listening to the will of God, doing the will of God. You see? So Goyim cannot affect Jews. It's Jews affecting Goyim. That's the way you have to look at it. What's going on there? What's the Kitrug? Uh, you see? That's the real thing going on. It's a very important principle that I've told you. Goyim do not in any way they register as human beings, of course, and they do register <coughs> that they have their own mission. And they do register that they can earn a place in the future world, yes. But they cannot influence not even one nanometer of movement in the divine agenda. In order for a non-Jew, a guy to do that, he must become Jewish. There is no other way. You see? So, Rabbi, I remember you saying once um, that the Mashiach when Yosef, um, he doesn't die. He's, he's not going to die. Um, yes, that, that decree was changed. He what should have it? died, because that was the, the original pasuk? decree. What? What was the pasuk that you brought down? Because I forgot it. The pasuk that I brought down. Oh, oh Yosef Chai. That's the remedy. That's the illusion. What? After the, after, what I find interesting is after they attacked Yosef's tomb, they went to <coughs> and, and yeah. went to attack try to kill a Jewish soldier immediately after. I didn't hear the... Can you, she said, uh, some, she said right after yeah. they, they attacked um, Yosef's tomb, they went to Mara Tamakhbela and killed a soldier there. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because that's really, they're trying to stop the Jews from destroying the Sultan. So they did two things. They tried to destroy, or symbolically, they tried to destroy the power source that will destroy the Sultan, which is the whole concept of Mashiach ben Yosef. And then they try to destroy the one who does kill the Sultan, which are the Jews. Yeah, makes perfect sense. You see. And of course, the Ma'oras Pela, by trying to indicate that your religion, because Avram Yitzhak Yaakov is the whole basis, the authenticity of the divine plan that takes the Jews as the main subjects. And therefore, by going to... Did you say the Ma'oras Pela, right? Yes. Yes. So therefore, that's the place... That's where the others are in the Imos. That's where the entire designation of the Jews as the, as the uh, rectifiers of creation started. So they went to the source, those people that started the whole business 
of Tikkun, they went there and killed a Jew. I mean, it, 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 it's classic as a barometer of what's really going on in heaven. You see, because that's what's going on in heaven. Yishmael is trying to survive the evil part of Yishmael. Survive and knock the Jew out of his ability to do Tikkun because they want to take it over. You see? And they are deluded, which is a very important concept. The Sultan has a delusion. The Sultan thinks that because he can actually own or possess a spark of holiness, then he can become Jewish. Sounds funny. <clears throat> you see? In other words, if, it, if the sphere is diminished, okay. But if he's transferred, that means the Sultan actually is under the delusion that he, is, he could become a divine being. And the proof of that is he has the sparks of holiness. And not only that, but he can actually control them. That's how he controls the nations of the world. That's the source of delusion of the Sultan. You see? That he actually thinks he can become divine. Because he's in possession of the greatest type of divinity, which are the spheres. You see? So therefore, you know, Yishmuel in this case, which is of course energized by the Satan, thinks that he could take over. It wants to be the agent of God, right? So therefore it will kill the Jews. Look, you are watching the greatest contest ever known in creation. The contest between the Jew and the non-Jew. You see? But the non-Jew doesn't have to kill the Jew. Let him join. Let him become Jewish. God left them away. You know? They're not doomed to never having a chance of Tikkun. No. Let them become Jewish. You see? Or let them do, you know, uh, a Noachite, and he will also share in the future world, you know, in a different way. You see? But uh, that's not what they want. They want to they wanna rival the Jew. Why do you think Christianity wants to kill the Jews? Because they want to be the Masakin. You see? Why do they think they could be the Masakin? Because of the delusion, right, of their guy, the Sultan. Because the Sultan is in possession of the Klippus. Or I should say, excuse me, the, the Sparks of Holiness. You're watching the origin of his delusion, you see. And therefore the Goyim, who are fed by the Sultan, have the same delusion. So they think they can kill the Jews and get away with it. The problem is that they're successful many times. But their success doesn't hinge on their delusion. It hinges on this is what the Jew has to go through because he sinned. This is part of the suffering. Many times, sometimes in history, the Jew has to demonstrate being a martyr. Now, only God knows why, you know, different exiles take on different forms. We don't know. But someday we will know in the Messianic era. You see? So this is what it is. We're watching a major contest. If the Goyim realized what they were doing, they would stop. They would say, what are we doing? We're cutting our nose to spite our face. We're killing the source of all, the, of all these sparks. What we should do is be good to the Jews. Help them do the mitzvahs. 
And then we would have an uh, unbelievable future world. Uh, you know? Could you, I mean, it, what a mistake that they make. What a mistake. Could you believe at the end of time when the Mashiach finally comes, uh, all those goyim that persecuted Jews or were bad to Jews or hated Jews or anti-Semitic or whatever, they're all going to need a psychiatrist because they are going to have an anxiety reaction, right, which is second to none because they all know what's going to happen to them. But if they were smart, you see, that's what they would do. And your question is, wait a minute, how would they find this out? The secret that I'm telling you, how would they know this? And you know what the answer is? Anybody who reads the Bible, the Torah, sees it. God says, you are my people forever. The Torah is forever. I love you. You are my children. I will never abandon you. Right? How stupid can you be? That's what it says. Anybody who reads the Tanakh, right? It says that a thousand times. The relationship between God and the Jews. So how could somebody come along and distort what it says in the Torah? So what's the guy going to say? Well, I didn't know this. If I would have known this, I would have treated them differently. You see? So God says, what are you talking about? Why do you think I made the Bible, right? The Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, right? The greatest book ever published. That's what it is, by the way. Uh, why? So a guy can't say, well, I didn't know this. So God said, what do you mean you didn't know this? You have the Bible. Nobody knows what the Torah is, the Bible. Why don't you read it? And anybody who reads it sees a plain meaning. You see? How could you make a mistake? They have nobody to blame but themselves. You see? So God provided that. You know, so they can't come and say, well, we didn't know how to treat the Jew. And God's going, what are you talking about? In the Bible, in the Torah, it says they are children. That means they are princes. How do you treat them this way? How do you slaughter them, butcher them, right? Torture them, persecute them. How do you do this? problem is when they finally find out what are they going to say and God is right he offered them a way to understand and to see the truth and they simply deny it because they are so busy trying to kill the Jews because they want to take over Judaism Christianity has been trying to take over Judaism right for 2,000 years that's all they think about you see take it over take it over you see? And everybody's jealous of the Jew. Why do the Arabs hate the Jews? You see? This goes on and on. But anybody who reads the greatest book ever published and reads it in an honest way immediately sees the status of the Jews in the divine plan. Okay. So, Rabbi, one more question. So now okay. going into... Going into Passover, what yes. um, uh, what should we have in mind? Like, what should be our main intention? And also, if if uh, something uh, like positive would happen, what would we be seeing on the world <clears throat> stage? Do you think? Um, to answer your second question first, 
uh, the collapse of the Israeli government, uh, and you already are seeing the collapse of America. It's not just Biden. America is dying. People do not understand that. And now they want to take over the school system and indoctrinate kids? <clears throat> I mean, can you believe what's happening in sexual perversions? Jersey, Gender distortions? What was that? Also in New Jersey starting September. I know. I, I heard that just today. I was shocked. Does Phil Murphy have any idea what's going to happen to him when the wheels of God, when God looks at him? Does he have any idea? Does the state legislature in New Jersey have any idea what their end will be? It's incredible. America is dying. They are dying morally, ethically, and righteously. It's incredible to watch. So we're going to see that. Hopefully in Nisan, it'll be accelerated. You know, where it really begins. You see, so that's what to look out for. Like, like I've just done now, I've interpreted the destruction or the attempted destruction of the Kevin Yosef, the grave of Yosef, how it fits exactly as a barometer, a signpost of what's happening in heaven, you see. Now, as to your first question, Kavono, uh, your main idea, like it says, actually the whole concept of the Pesach is the Agodah, is through the mitzvahs, the matzah, of course, to avoid chometz, moro, right? For, for cups of wine, which I will explain, you know, next week and so on. But the main idea is that Egypt is our story. Egypt isn't a historical event. It is a story of the Jewish people in brief. And therefore, what you have to uh, think about is that you are proud to be Jewish. You have to take pride in being Jewish means in being part of God's army. Every one of us is part of his army, you see, with different assignments. It's really what we are, you see. And we have to win the war, you see, which is the destruction of evil and the observance of all the mitzvahs, you see. <clears throat> but we have to believe in God, right? We have to uh, be proud that we're Jewish. And we have to look at our, in Egypt, the he, historic event, is what the whole point was, because the historic event of Egypt wasn't, uh, the essential idea of Egypt is not just to leave Egypt, it's to go towards Sinai. That's the essence of Egypt. Without Sinai, there would be no Egypt, you see. Uh, so you have to be proud, and you have to convey that to your kids, that you're the luckiest person of all, because you're Jewish. You represent the king of kings. You're the only one that can rectify creation. There is nobody else. You see? And if you do that, you will make God, you will give God unbelievable, unparalleled joy. Could you imagine what it is to give joy to God? What he would do to reciprocate? How lucky do you have to be? You know, people who work for a legitimate government and so on, they thank, this, they thank God that they have this incredible job. You see? Pesach is when we were assigned this job. How lucky are we? That's what you have to think. That we are the luckiest people of all, even though it's very difficult 
and it's been through tremendous amount of, you know, labor and, 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 and tragedy and so on. But in the end, God will make this up. It says that. It's interesting. Ramchal says this. We do not understand. Why is it that the Messianic era is going to be so unbelievable? And the answer is because the Gullists were so bad. You see, because God just doesn't want to bring, well, I'll end the Gullists. That's not what God is looking forward to. What do you, he doesn't want to just, well, I'll end the, the misery, the suffering, and the tragedies of exile. You know, of course we'll be relieved. No. God is going to say, this is what you did with the Gullists, right? And he's going to bring a messianic era. The Ramchal says that this era is beyond comprehension. The, 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 the joy, the happiness, you see? What the Jew will have, the pleasure, it's just beyond belief what the Jew will go through. It is a time that we cannot even comprehend, you see? So it's not just an ending of Gullus. That's not the release. That, that's not the relief. And that's not the consolation. The consolation is not that the exile ends, but it's the beginning of an era which is diametrically, not only opposite the exile, but it's thousands of times more joyous than the exile, right, was painful. And the reason why is because of Pesach. So if you can communicate to your kid how lucky he is to be Jewish and explain Pesach that way, then you will have done. That's why the Rosham says, he lebincho. You need to tell this to your kids, right? How joyful he has to be that he can do the mitzvahs and all the creation. And that is why it is so important to share that I'm giving. Because he realized that Pesach is not merely a historical event. It is the tikkun of the Bria, you see? And that's worth everything. That's what brings the joy. <clears throat> that you will have been one of the people responsible, right? for the glorification of God and the glorification, right, of His name and of the change, the existential change of all creation. You know, that's, that, that's what Pesach is, is really all about, you know. You know, I, I want I, I, I'll end with this. I once said this a long time ago. You know, I, I was once in my car waiting to do something and I turned on the radio, and I heard this ball game, baseball game. And they were honoring, I keep forgetting the guy, he was a relief pitcher. Mariano or something like that? Yeah, Anybody who's into baseball will know. What? Mariano Rivera. Rivera, yeah, maybe. Rivera? Yeah, he, he was one of the greatest relief pitchers of all. Anyway. So they, they had a whole stadium filled with people, you know? And when he came out, you could not believe the cheering of that stadium. Like 50,000 people screaming at the top of, his, of their lungs. Ah, uh, you see? So, so all of a sudden, what hit me was something which was really incredible. And what hit me was that, what is this? This guy, okay, was a great baseball player, whatever. So he's retiring. Okay, so to show the appreciation of who he is, could you imagine what's happening 
uh, 50,000 people are screaming at the top of their lungs. Wow. Can you imagine <clears throat> what will happen in the end of days when all of a sudden the Mashiach ben Yosef comes and reveals himself as the Mashiach ben Yosef? Because initially he doesn't. Could you imagine that? And then all of a sudden the entire world changes. Do you know what's going to happen? The entire universe, which means the hundreds of millions of malachim, angels, right? Because they are the residents of the entire creation. Throughout all the alamas, which is Asiya, Yitzira, Bria, and, uh, Bria and so on, everybody, angels, demons, <laughs> okay, who they are, right? Uh, Goyim, you know, every living creature, is going to be screaming at the top of their lungs for what the Jews did. And we are going to hear it. And that type of an audience and that type of display will be beyond comprehension. That the Jew is, what, is the one that created the salvation of all creation. That's what's going to happen. And that's when I heard you know, this guy being honored with this 50,000 people screaming. This is nothing compared to the joy and the happiness and the appreciation of what the entire universe, all the residents of the universe, will be screaming at the top of their lungs for what the Jews did. Now, isn't it worth to be part of that? Okay. It's a long shear. Uh, and uh, I think it's worthwhile... Going over. That was amazing. You know. Okay, next week uh, I will continue to finish with Pesach, even though it's after the Sedarm. But it's still Pesach.